Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So Ephesians 6, verses 18 to 24. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen. Thanks, Raf. Uh, so Paul ends his letter to the Ephesians, and he's sending Tychius, or however you pronounce it, with the letter to the church. And he's giving some final instructions there of what they're to do. Um, if you've been with us for the last three months, we've been studying, as Maffy said, every single verse in the letter to the Ephesian church. And uh, Paul finishes, I liked uh, Craig's, uh, in, in our time of sung worship, where he said, uh, he, talking about battle. And, um, uh, you know, in the, in the football and the Spurs, and the, I'm a Spurs fan, I'm just, I couldn't, couldn't get over it. Uh, and uh, in the football games. But, you know, the, so... Uh, uh, Paul ends up by talking about battle, spiritual warfare, uh, that there is a battle, that the enemy, though unseen, is real, and we have an enemy that needs to be resisted. Now, the big idea of this letter to the Ephesian church is that God has created a new community in Christ, that he's reconciled us to himself through Jesus, but he's also reconciled us to one another through Christ so that every uh, earthly division is broken down and destroyed because we're equal members, equal participants, equal in value and worth and, and belonging in this new community that God is forming on earth. And this new community then he goes on to talk about is, is a community of love and purity and self-giving and justice and, and we conduct ourselves in our marriages, in our homes according to Christ and we, and we conduct ourselves in our workplace with integrity and wholeheartedness. We bear with one another. We speak the truth to one another. So this community, this is the big, you know, the church. This is the, this is, this is the epistle. This is the letter to the church, about the church. Is, is beautiful. It's countercultural. It's alternative. Uh, it's full of love, harmony, purity, truth, integrity, compassion, giving ourselves up. And if we were to do this, Paul says, well, you, you shine like a bright light. You know, you make a difference in the world. You have a positive impact. So it can feel slightly jarring to end the letter talking about spiritual warfare. Well, we were talking about this wholesome, beautiful, attractive, loving, truthful, Christ-like community. Why are, we, why are we talking about fighting an enemy now? Because the enemy, Satan, the great accuser and adversary of God's people, wants to bring discord, fear, strife, lies, and chaos to the community. He wants to do everything he can to stop God's plan of salvation through the church to come about. He wants to rip apart what Christ has joined. He wants to tear it up. The light that should be shining, he wants to bring his darkness. From Genesis through to Revelation in the Bible, 
there is a, it, it, it speaks candidly about a malevolent intelligence, an evil personality called the devil or Satan who is real, powerful, wicked, and cunning. He's a fallen angel. He's rebelled against God. He's fought an army of, of fallen uh, beings. And he's a, he's a murderer and a, and a liar. And he aims to kill and destroy. And uh, everything Jesus builds, he wants to undo. And he has a legion of demons. That is why in Christian doctrine, we say our fight is against sin, internal, the world, external, and the devil, unseen. Do you know you've got three fights? against your own sin, the pressures of the world, and the unseen evil one. He, we've already come across him twice in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 2-2, two, two, he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In chapter 4-27, he's the one who loves to get a foothold in our lives when we get angry. Remember? In your anger, do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, before we think, and, and therefore Paul says, well, you need, I need to call you to arms as a church. If you're really going to be this alternative community on earth spreading this light, you need to know there's an evil one who's out there to stop you. And therefore, I need to call you to arms, and the way you fight is through prayer. Hmm. So that's where he ends in prayer, the letter. This beautiful community which has an amazing potential for good needs to fight against the shrewd and ingenious one who wants to divide and destroy. We don't need to fear him. We don't need to feel that we can't beat him. Uh, he has been defeated in Christ, but we need to be aware of his schemes. So before we think about the prayer, I want to think about the schemes. How do we know how to pray? Well, you need to know what he's trying to do. So let's have a think of the schemes. I've got six here. The first scheme the devil has used throughout history is to persecute God's people physically. One Peter, so another uh, apostle, says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Believers in Sri Lanka understand this verse. They've had family members who are believers as killed. The devil loves to kill. And he'll destroy Christians. He tries to destroy the church. It may be imprisonments, beatings, unfair treatment, oppression by the state. Being a Christian in many parts of the world will mean that you are a prisoner in chains like the Apostle Paul or you will die. And the devil loves to use this tactic. The irony is, as painful and as tragic as it is, the church has only throughout history grown where the church has been killed. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. One of the, I can't remember who said it. So, so he loves to persecute physically. We don't get that here yet. Hmm. Secondly, he loves to use deception, doctrinal error. Jesus and Paul repeatedly talk about false teachers and false apostles who would come and they'd infiltrate the church with false doctrine which would spread, spread like gangrene and take people away from the truth of the gospel. And so the role of church elders... One of the primary roles, shepherds of the church, is to protect and guard the church against these attacks from the devil to believe a false gospel. Many churches in the Western world, sadly, have been taken foul, have been trapped by this scheme of the devil. Satan is a liar. If he wants us, he wants us to believe lies like he did Adam and Eve. He wants to get into the mind and we stop believing the truth. Thirdly, discord. If the devil cannot attack us out externally, cause us to divide, uh, sorry, cause us to lose our way doctrinally, he'll try and divide us. He'll create factions in a church. He'll create unforgiveness, envy, power plays, gossip. Yeah, it's just a bit of gossip. No, it's the devil at work. Huh. You ever thought of that? 
You say that little comment behind the back, it's, it's the devil at work. He's trying to get in to divide. He's a destroyer. He'll play on our insecurities and our weaknesses. He'll start to breed resentment. And so we judge our brothers and sisters. Well, they do it better with you. It's important. We need to know his tactics. He loves to split churches. You'll have seen it happen, I'm sure, in your time as a Christian. We must watch out. That's why we must deal with anger really well. When you get angry against a brother or sister, in your anger, do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. Fourthly, moral failure within the leadership. It's not hard to see why the devil goes after leaders of the church, because if he can cause leaders to compromise in sin, typically financial, sexual, or abusing their relationship and the power they have in the relationships, it can cause the whole community to crumble. That's why Paul writes three letters, one and two, Timothy and Titus, which is all about appointing godly leaders and making sure those leaders are in teams to make sure that, you know, it's not all hanging on one man or one person. That is why Jesus said to the disciples, they hated me. Well, no servant is greater than his master. They're going to hate you. And so leaders, beware. If you've taken a leadership role of any kind in this church or you want to, you're putting yourself on Satan's hit list. That's why the primary requirement of a leader in the Bible is not skill but godliness, Bible truth, prayer, humility, and love. These are our weapons. We must fight. Fifthly, seduction and temptation. I think it's the great trick our Western church. Kevin Spacey, didn't he say it in The Usual Suspects? The greatest trick the devil ever played was to convince the world he didn't exist. No, he just seduces us into building a nice big house with a nice big career and a nice big family and a nice load of comfort. And we're tempted just to a life of ease. And we think, ah, the devil's not anywhere. He's laughing because we've played the greatest trick on us. We're spending all our energies not on eternal realities, but on earthly realities. At the, end of the Bible, at the end of the Bible, the Apostle John, writes in the book of Revelation, writes in great detail about the warfare that happens between the ascension of Christ and his return. So between the now and when he returns. And he talks about Babylon, the anti-city, compared to Jerusalem, the city of God. And he describes Babylon as the great prostitute, trying to seduce us. And he uses language of adultery and drunkenness to capture this idea that we just get lulled in and then suddenly we're having sex or we're drinking too much and all the rest. He says, that's what it's like. The devil's doing that all the time. And he says to this, come out of her, talking about Babylon, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. And the sins that John is talking about is the sin of like compromise, half-heartedness, ease, comfort. And, and he uses this phrase, don't be tempted by the maddening wine of her adulteries. You must be sober-minded. Sixthly, condemnation. If the devil cannot attack you physically, get you to compromise your doctrine, bring division, division amongst you, get your leaders to mess up, and cannot seduce you into comfort, compromise, and apathy, he'll rely on his most basic tactic, condemnation. You're worthless. You're a failure. You're a mess. You're a screw-up. You're inadequate. You could never be forgiven. You'll never recover from this. You could never be truly known by anyone because if people knew that about, oh, you're a failure. You're pathetic. You should have moved on years ago from this. You, you might as well forget it. You're a hopeless case. You hear that voice? Does it become louder sometimes? Does it become more dominant? And stops us living in the light that we are righteous and reconciled in Christ to God. And therefore, we are not failures. We have a standing. We have security. We have the hope of salvation. We have the helmet of salvation. We're going to come to it all in a minute. 
we have the bre- we need to put up the breastplate of righteousness. I'm not a failure. In Christ, through faith in Christ, I am righteous. And when God the Father sees me, he doesn't see a failure. He sees a beloved child who he's got an eternal destiny for. Don't say I'm a failure. You put up the breastplate. Oh, no, that's the shield, isn't it? You put on the breastplate of right. I'm righteous in Christ. Not by my works. I might be a failure by my works, but I live by faith. Let me get on that breastplate. Helmet of salvation. No one's going to tell me I don't have an eternal future here. Through prayer, we do all this. So instead of appreciating or and enjoying all that God has done for us as his children in Christ, we live with regret, fear, and, and guilt. We don't take risks. We hide our faith from others. We let our gifts lie dormant. We're half committed. We live with an inferiority complex. Paul says you need to, you need to know the call to arms. Have you been deceived? You've been seduced? You've been tempted? You've been condemned? You've been compromised? Be aware of his schemes. That's what Paul says, isn't he? In chat. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. This scheme is, there's, a, there's an army of legions and they're after you. Do you know that? Don't have to fear them, but you have to be aware of them. And you see, he says four times in verses 11, 13, and 14. They're not on the handout, so I put them on the screen. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Four times. Sometimes just standing as a Christian, you've done your job. And actually, if you stand in a battle, you've won. They haven't been able to take you down. The last one standing. David has these mighty men in the Old Testament who fought for him and defended him and were with him against many schemes of the devil. I love this account, talking about one of the mighty men. Next to him was Eliezer, son of Doai the Ahohite. Who knows how you pronounce that? As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at somewhere for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. But Eliezer stood his ground. And struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze the so- to, to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only uh, to strip the dead. In the face of the battle, can you stand your ground and be the last one standing? We must learn to stand. But we must also learn to go on the offensive. And that's why we're given a sword. A sword is an offensive weapon. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And we're given prayer. I was trying to find this quote all day. I couldn't find it. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis talking about the gospel. And he says, you can put the gospel on the TV, people turn it off. You can knock on the door and people can shut the door in your face. Uh, You can write pamphlets, they can throw them in the bin, etc. There's lots of ways of trying to get the gospel out there. He says they can all be rejected. He says the only weapon in your arsenal which hits home every time is prayer. They can't stop that one. There's There's an opportunity to advance and you advance through prayer. So I want to talk about two types of prayer today in our warfare. I want to talk about uh, prayer to stand and prayer to advance. We must stand first. We won't be able to advance if we can't stand. But once we've stood, we must then advance. And the kingdom of darkness must be pushed back. So let's talk about prayer to stand. Uh, On the screen here, I'll read it again. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Did you spot the four alls? All occasions, all kinds of prayers. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Perpetual prayer, plentiful prayer, persevering prayer, petitionary prayer. 
our lives must be covered in all kinds. Paul's like, just pray, pray, think about all kinds of, just do it. Our lives must be soaked in this prayer if we're going to fight. What does that brilliant song say? I hope we're singing it after. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. When we're tempted to give in, to compromise, to retreat, to wallow in guilt, to let the voices in our head take over from the voices of our Father in heaven, pray to stand your ground. You're under attack. Satan wants to tempt you to despair. What do you do? In prayer, you look up and you see him there. And when you see him in prayer, the victory's won because he's won it for you. You don't win it, but you do in prayer. He's done it. How do you put on the belt of truth instead of believing lies? Through prayer, as you read the scriptures. It's not just a dry reading of the Bible. I read it with prayer. How do I put on the breastplate of righteousness rather than living under condemnation and guilt with a sense of regret? You're worthless. You're hopeless. You're a failure. You're not good enough. You're not doing enough. You're not holy enough. No, through prayer, I remind myself I am righteous in Christ. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And in prayer, that truth from the head sinks to the heart and the devil flees. How do I put on the gospel shoes of peace to help me and enable me share good news of peace and be a peacemaker on earth? Through prayer. I want to retaliate. I don't want to share the, ah, Lord, help me. I want to be a peacemaker. Lord, I need you. Through prayer, put on those shoes. How do you put up the shield of faith to fight off the flaming darts of the devil who tries to manipulate our weaknesses and insecurities? He's, he's got, a, he's got, a, he's got a, his little arrow aimed, and he's going for that chink in your armor. Maybe your upbringing. Maybe you split up with someone. Maybe something tragic happened in your past. Maybe you've got some insecurity about the way you look. Maybe Whatever it is, he knows your insecurities. He's cunning. And he's got his arrow bow, and you're going, no, through faith, I put up my shield. You've got nothing on me. I know who I am in Christ. Yes, I have insecurities, but I'm covered. And in faith, I'm going to advance and not let all those doubts and failures and insecurities that you're trying to target. No. I advance by faith as I pray and I'm aware of them. And as I pray, faith rises and I say, no, I don't need to be held back by these things. How do I put on the helmet of salvation when I'm tempted to believe I'm not saved? I'm going to doubt my salvation in Christ or, or, or his love for me or my eternal destiny. Through prayer, I hear the assurance of my Father in heaven saying, you're my beloved child. Nothing can separate me, separate you from my love. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nothing in heaven on earth, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ that's in, in Christ Jesus. Put on that helmet in prayer. Appropriate it. Internalize it, Matthew was charging us last week. How does the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, stop being a dead, dusty word, but living and powerful? Prayer. Please notice, Paul is not urging us to do anything impressive. He's not asking us to do more. He's asking us to pray so we appreciate all that Jesus has already done to win the victory. Jesus is our champion. He's our commanding officer. He wore all the items of clothing into armor when he disarmed the devil on the cross. The victory has been won. How do we stand in his victory? Through prayer. We're not embarking on a new campaign to attack the devil. We're standing still in prayer in Christ's victory. We're not saved by starting new battles. We live in confident faith by prayer that Jesus has already won the battle, and I stand in that. 
That's why verse 12 says, we haven't got it there, but it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. It's not my mighty strength. It's interesting, at City Group this week, one of the la- girls, one of the ladies shared that uh, uh, she, she'd heard a sermon on David and Goliath. And, uh, you know, the Sunday school sermon we all hear is like, you can be strong and defeat your enemies. Like David was small and he felt insecure, but he beat the big Goliath. And actually, that's a man-centered way of reading the Bible, a God-centered, Jesus-centered way of reading the Bible is, you're the terrified Israelites that none of them wants to fight and you're trembling in your boots, running away. And the unlikely hero enters the scene, representing you, and he does it with unlikely weapons. He takes on the giant, and you, because he is representing you in battle, receive the victory, even though you are trembling. Jesus went to the cross with the unlikely weapons of giving his life away, and defeated Goliath, while you were trembling in your, your boots at sin and hell and the devil. And he took them all for you. So don't go, oh, I can be strong. No, I'm trembling. He look, look, look at him. He's strong. Ah, I can rest through faith as I pray. His mighty strength. Wearing the armor is not about, can I be like Christ enough to beat the devil? Putting on the armor is saying, Jesus beat the devil, and I'm going to internalize every bit of my identity that he's won for me now. If you're struggling to stand your ground against the devil's schemes, if the he- voices in your head are louder than the voices of your Father in heaven, Paul says, start praying. Pray. We've got 24 hours of it coming up. Sign up for, Emma and Matthew has just signed up for four hours. Sign up for 20, I'm not even joking. Sign up. All occasions, just go back through the alls, especially when Doubts threaten to, com- you know, to, to threaten your confidence in Christ. All kinds of prayers. So there's urgent prayers. There's spontaneous prayers. There's prayers when I'm exhausted in the middle of the day. There's prayers when I'm stressed at work. Just all kinds of prayers. There's prayers that I try and do every day in my daily devotionals. There's prayers when I take a day of retreat and I head down to Dunleary and I'm, I'm walking and I'm praying. There's all kinds of prayers. There's little quick ones. There's long, prolonged ones. There's, there's the regular ones. There's the, the passionate ones. There's the kind of, oh, Lord, I don't even feel anything right now, but I'm praying. All kinds of prayers. Don't get used to just one type of prayer. All kinds of prayers. Always keep on praying. I don't feel like praying, so keep on praying. What well, Jesus told two parables on prayer. They have the same point. Always keep praying. Remember the unjust judge in Luke 18 and the, the man who goes to, to knock on, on a, a friend at midnight and no, no one wants to help, and, but they just keep on praying and the man at midnight goes, okay, here's some food, and the unjust judge goes, okay, get your way. And he said, just because they persevered in prayer. I don't feel like praying, so, so pray. For all the Lord's people, the last all, especially when you hear of others in need and the persecuted church around the world, we must pray for all the Lord's people. The Lord's people here in Dublin, the Lord's people in our church, the Lord's people in our family and friends, they're under attack too. Maybe they're being deceived. Maybe they're drifting. I want to stop for a moment on that one. We live and we pray and we stand and we fight in community with all the Lord's people and for all the Lord's people. Another tactic of the devil is to isolate you and separate you from the community. He knows you're really weak. Don't come on a Sunday, it's not part of city group, not part of a life group, getting no real fellowship, you know, or when you meet with Christian friends, you just talk about surface issues, you don't pray, you don't talk about what's going on or how you feel under attack. No, no, that would be intense. We just want our, you know, it's want a bit of fun. No, it's a great, it's a great tactic of the devil to isolate you, to make you weak. 
And when we meet with other Christians, we can cover up, we can pretend, we can skim the surface, we can control what people know. In other words, we don't really participate so that people then go, I know your needs and I can pray for you. No, we must pray on our own as Jesus taught us, shut the door, go to your heavenly father, only he sees your prayers, he will reward you. Pray on your own and we must pray together. We must pray for the Lord's people, with the Lord's people. Prioritize the prayer and worship night. First Wednesday of every month, don't miss it. Come forward for prayer at the end of a service. Don't let the devil play on your pride so you wouldn't come forward and say, I need prayer. It's a tactic. Oh, you have to be all impressive. No. Hey, I'm under attack. I need prayer. That's cool. Come forward. We'd love to pray with you. And and sign up for the 24 hours of prayer. Have you started to believe the voices in your head? Are you feeling weak as a Christian? Don't let the devil isolate you. Don't let your pride stop admitting you're weak and you need help from the community and you need prayer. And pray on your own and pray with others. Paul urges you, stand. How? Through prayer. Secondly, once we've learned to stand, we must advance. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare declare it fearlessly as I should. Whilst it's necessary, it's not sufficient that God's people merely stand. They must advance. The kingdom of darkness must be pushed back. The kingdom of light must take ground. So Paul talks about evangelism, being a soul winner, making known the mystery of the gospel so others might put their faith in Christ. By the way, this is kind of where I'm, you know, one of the questions I'm asking in our Renew meetings and in our city groups is, what what do you hope for from Renew? What would you love God to do in our church? Just blue sky thinking, what would you love? And this is kind of what I would love. I feel like for five years we've learned how to stand. We've the God has formed the community. We have discipleship and community, and we have our vision, our DNA. We have our our doctrine. You know, we've learned how to stand. We've had some ups and downs, but we're now established as a church. We've got a leadership team appointed, and we'll do more on that. I want us to advance. I want us to learn a new zeal for one. I uh, personally, I just want to learn a new zeal for one-to-one evangelism. I like. Paul, I'm an ambassador in chains, and I might make known the me. I want that. I want prayer. Paul wants prayer for that. I want prayer for that. And I want us as a church. I'd love us. I'd, I'd be so excited to stand strong, but let's advance. Notice the word that Paul repeats twice when he thinks about advancing the kingdom. I don't know what your picture of the Apostle Paul is in your mind. Do you see the word? Fearlessly. In other words, Paul had fear. You don't say, hey, can you pray for me? I've got a, I've got a job interview mo- tomorrow. If you don't have a job interview, you pray, you ask someone to pray for you when you have a need. Paul says, pray that I declare it fearlessly. Why? Because my need is I might be a coward. Do you need courage for evangelism to share the gospel one-to-one with your friends and family? Are you tempted to keep your mouth shut? Are you tempted to hide the light and fit in? Are you tempted to fudge the ch- truth to fit in with what is PC in our culture today? Are you tempted not to share that Jesus is the only way of salvation and the exclusivity of the Christian faith that people find arrogant and offensive? Do you find it hard to talk about eternal realities because that gets all serious? No, just focus on now. I do. Paul did. That's why we need, Lord, pray for me because I'm going to get really fearful when I try and do this. Advancing against the kingdom of darkness is not easy work. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. Jesus said, they hated him, they'll hate us if we stick to the truth. 
the gospel is always offensive in every culture the gospel will offend. It will always create opposition. It always brings some level of alienation from the world, your friends, your family. Always. If it's not, it's not the gospel. Paul says this to young Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, not may, but will be persecuted. Becoming a Christian means you sign up for opposition. Taking a stand for Jesus means it's going to cost you. If you want to move forward, you're going to need to pray. Because unless you're Jesus, even he, well, even he, even he. Remember Garden of Gethsemane? What did he want? He wanted one thing for his disciples to do for him. Watch and pray. I'm about to go and take on the devil. I'm literally going to disarm the evil one at the cross. I'm going to rip him of all his condemnation powers as I make you righteous through my death. What do you want? Pray for me. Even Jesus, he's sweating blood. But he's not just fearlessness. You see the other thing Paul says? Uh, pray for me also, that words may be given me. You see, we don't want to become like, hey, yes, Steve, you're right. I'm just going to be fearless. Well, you can also be rude and arrogant and annoying. Right? And just crass. And you're like, I'm being fearless for Jesus. You're also being really weird and alienating. And you should learn how to speak. And so Paul says, no, but I also need the words. Because different people need different explanations. They need different people have different questions behind the question. Different people have different pasts. Different people come from different cultures and worldviews. Therefore, you can't just blanket everyone with the same gospel explanation. I need words for each conversation. Particularly in the one-to-one evangelism person in the workplace, the person in the community that, can I ask a question? Can I sow a seed? Lord, where should I go? How far should I put? You need words. And they need to be given you. So pray. A church that is not moving forward and that is stagnated is really moving backwards. We must advance. We must keep taking risks. We must keep sharing the gospel. We must cross the line of what is PC in our culture. And we need courage. And therefore, we need prayer. I encourage you. It was something that I was challenged to do recently. Write a list of people friends, family, or whoever in your neighborhood, workplace, who are close to you, that you have some kind of relationship with, write them and pray for them every week. Non-believers who don't know Jesus, that you'd have an opportunity to share with them. So what have we learned today as I finish? The devil has many schemes. We don't have to fear him, but we must be aware of him. And we must put on the armor of God to fight so we can stand and advance. How do we do that? Through prayer. Prayers to stand and prayers to advance. And I want us to finish by considering Paul himself. Where is he? In prison. How does he describe himself? An ambassador of the king. He's in chains, but he's an ambassador of King Jesus. How does he view his circumstances? Without a hint of self-pity, anxiety, or frustration. What does he see his task as in prison? To make known the mystery of the gospel, which was his task outside of prison. What does he have in mind? Who does he have in mind as he writes this letter from prison? The church, that the church would flourish and grow. And he talks about Tychius, and Tychius is going to encourage you. The He doesn't even think of himself. He's thinking about this church in Ephesus. He's going, I really want you to be encouraged. He's not thinking about himself. What would you just say describes the Apostle Paul's posture as he writes this letter? The word I think of is stability. He's not faced. You can't get, every attack of the devil has been tried and he's standing. He's not, he's so stable. He's learned to put on all the armor. He's learned, and, and if you read the book of Ephesians, really quickly, you'll see there's three prayers. Paul has learned how to pray. 
For this, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and all the God's people, I have not stopped praying for you. Chapter 314, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray, and then at the end he says, pray also for me. Paul's so strong in prison. He's so stable. He doesn't have these up and downs. He's because he's learned how to pray. Do you want to be like Paul? Paul's just a man like us. Yeah, he had a special mission, but he was just like us. He learned to pray. He was stable. He had zeal. He had a vision beyond his own circumstances, whatever they were. He'd put on the armor of God. He'd, he'd learned to recognize behind every earthly circumstances and doubt and all that the schemes of the evil one. And he was skilled for the battle. He never lost the joy of his salvation. I love the letter to the Ephesians. He's got this vision of the church worldwide and what it's supposed to do. He's singing in prison. May God do something marvelous amongst us in this month of May of Renew to make us strong to stand and strong to advance. Give us the joy of our salvation, the zeal for evangelism and stability. No matter what the devil does, he's not going to get in. We're standing in Christ. I'm, little da- I'm not little David. Jesus is David, taking on the big enemy. I'm quaking in my boots and we win a victory in the most unlikely way and therefore we can advance. Right, we're finished. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray and I want us to think about a couple of things we can pray for. The band can come back and we're going to hopefully sing that song. If not, we'll sing another appropriate one, I'm sure. Um, we are good. I want you to think for a moment how the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. If you're comfortable, I just really would urge you just to, to close your eyes and take a moment to just be, be aware. Maybe the last month you haven't seen that, that the devil's been trying to do something. Even this last week, Leanne and I had to talk about it. There was just stuff in my life and in our life, in our home, and I, I could just, I knew I was preaching this sermon and I hadn't been aware of it. Amazing. I was preaching a sermon on spiritual warfare and I wasn't aware of his schemes. And I had to say sorry to my son. I had to say sorry to another believer. Leanne and I had to talk. I didn't want to give the devil a foothold. Just a week. I prepared the sermon. I should have expected it, shouldn't I? Just take a moment to be aware and to think about some of those emotions and feelings and circumstances and relationships and go, oh, maybe you're isolated. Maybe you've stopped letting people in. Maybe you're indulging in sin. Maybe the the temptation to comfort is so great. You've lost that first love for Jesus, that zeal. Maybe it is anger and forgiveness. Maybe you feel condemned. You hear that voice. You're worthless. You're beyond help now. God could never use you. Maybe your pride is stopping you say, I need help. I need prayer. Maybe you want courage like me, like Paul, to share the gospel more. So we're going to do what we normally do. We're going to sing. Then Leanne's going to come and there'll be an opportunity to come forward for prayer. If you'd like that, come forward. And uh, and then we'll uh, do the normal things of renew and the path and everything. But uh, let's take a moment to just think where do you need to be aware of the devil's schemes? And how does prayer and putting on this armor equip you to stand in the victory of Jesus? So Father, we thank you for this amazing letter that we've spent three months thinking over. We thank you for this vision of this community that's alternative uh, in this world, that's beautiful, that's upside down, that's countercultural, where there's equality, where there's no dividing wall of hostility amongst us. But we want to be aware, especially as we think about five years and renew and what are we doing next as a church, that the devil would love to get in. 
And so we want to be aware of his schemes, not scared of him, but aware of him. We thank you, Jesus, that you have the victory. And uh, we stand in that victory now. I pray for all my brothers and sisters that they would know who they are in you. They'd, they'd put on that breastplate of righteousness and not let the accusations of the devil get in. And I pray, Lord, that those of us that feel like we're barely standing up would feel strengthened to stand today. And those of us that are standing would keep moving forward. And together, we'd be a mixture of standing and advancing. So, Lord, help us. And thank you for all that we have in you and our confidence. And that it's in your mighty strength, it's in your power that we stand.